yes, I'll be reading Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 20 through 24. The soul that sins, he will die. The son will not bear the iniquity of the father with him, nor will the father bear the iniquity of the son with him. The righteousness of the righteous will be on him, and the wickedness of the wicked will be on him. But if the wicked turns from all his sins that he has committed and keeps all my laws and does what is lawful and right, he will surely live. He will not die. None of his transgressions that he committed will be remembered. Because of his righteousness that he practiced, he will live. Do I delight, sorry, do I delight at all in the death of the wicked? It is, a, it is a declaration of Adonai. Rather, should he not return from his ways and live? But when the righteous turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity and does according to all the detestable acts that the wicked man does, will he live? None of his righteous deeds that he has done will be remembered. For his trespass that he trespassed and for his sin that he has sinned, for them he will die. So Ezekiel 18, this is as Chaim says, a bedtime reading book, I'm sure. <laughs> <clears throat> but this is, uh, I don't know if Michael mentioned it earlier, but this is um, Shabbat Shuvah. There's different Shabbats. You think, well, Shabbat, Shabbat's just Friday night to Saturday night. That, that's true, but in Judaism, you start looking up, there's so many different Shabbats. There's, there's, there's Shabbat Shuvah, there's, there's the Sabbath of return, which is kind of coincidental with Shabbat Shuvah. Shabbat Shuvah is the there's Shabbat Hagadol, the big Shabbat before uh, Passover. This is Shabbat Shuvah. This is the Sabbath of, of, uh, of turning or the Sabbath of return. It's part of what Chaim had talked about that we're in now called the um, Yamim Noraim, which are the 10 days of awe. Not awe, but awe, like, you know, awe and wonder. Um, <coughs> between, uh, between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, which is what we're in right now. In fact, if you look at Siddur's, which are Jewish prayer books, often there's things that are in parentheses and things that, you know, if you're in this time period, you add this line and so forth and maybe may be applicable to the coming holiday. And often there is, you know, between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, say this, and you say this line, and it, you can see it's, it's applicable to this whole theme, which we'll be getting into. Um, specifically, f wh what it is is a time of, of uh <coughs> introspection, but certainly a time before Yom Kippur, which is right now, a time of reconciliation, a wonderful wor word that we all love, um, between people. Because what's happening is Yom Kippur is coming. And again, this is, uh, I'll mention this again later, but as believers, we take what we can from the, from the holy days. Obviously, we have a different perspective on repentance and, and, and salvation. It's not once a year at Yom Kippur. However, we can glean good things from these observances because if we, if you might say, well, Judaism looks at it once a year, and we have it all year long, but we tend to put it on the back burner. Judaism is very front burner right now, so this is a good reason for us to put it front burner. Um, but the idea is that, hey, you know, Yom Kippur is coming. This is the time that you're getting yourself right with the Lord. And a prerequisite to that, and we see in this passage here in Ezekiel, I'll hopefully I'll point out to you, is that the prerequisite is interpersonal relationship mending first before that time with God, the issues with other people. So you're making deliberate efforts and deliberate strides in that area. That, that involves forgiveness. And there are two sides to forgiveness, right? There is extending forgiveness, and there is receiving forgiveness. And uh, those, are, those are two, uh, two sides of the same coin um, that are equally difficult. 
and, but they're both involved when it comes to squaring away relationships with others. There are times we need to extend. There are times we need to, to receive, right? Um, sometimes it's difficult to receive, isn't it? Even gifts, I mean, that's difficult. And it's extremely difficult. And, and Ms. Mary mentioned to me earlier, Mary said, the cow said, oh, this is a difficult topic today. And I gave her the Heimerbach line. No, it's not difficult. And she kind of laughed. I said, it's impossible. <laughs> it's an impossible. It's an impossible thing. And so I think looking at how God deals in forgiveness and righteousness and justice is, is really the, the best thing we can do and we should do and is what we're going to do and it's going to be helpful. Hence our reason for looking at this passage today. Um, it was this, this passage that was read today, really uh, the, the context of what I'm kind of, kind of using as the basis for this, this preaching of, of and so forth is really the entirety of chapter 18. If you're not familiar with it, I'm going to kind of review some of it with you. But this that was read by Tracy was really the, um, the closing argument to to uh, what was going on earlier, which was um, Israel's proposition <coughs> that things for them just aren't fair. Right, th- right now they're in exile, and they're saying, you know, specifically they're suffering because of someone else. And so because of that, they're saying, you know what, that should be the way for everybody. And God's saying, uh-uh, look, this is how it works. Um, in other words, you know, Israel's saying, if we had to suffer because of what stuff happened before us and what our fathers did before us, then everyone else should have to. Now, that's the surface issue, and as, as, as Chaim would say, kind of the issue behind the issue or below the surface really is a, is a picture of hopelessness or helplessness. In other words, you know, we're in exile here, and there's nothing that we did to deserve this. This was due to, to our forefathers, and uh, you know what? There's really no, you know, I, I guess that there's no changing things, and ultimately, I guess there really is no loving, there's no just God at all, woe is me, and so forth. And I think that this is an idea that we can certainly relate to. <coughs> we say, you know, Things are bad, things are bad with me, things are bad with others, things are bad with the world. Um, and we have a saying sometimes we throw along after we kind of lament all those things, we say, it is what it is, right? And that's sort of this idea of futility, helplessness, right? Unchangeable, cosmic uh, rules are in place. Um, and this is definitely an attitude we can and do take when it comes to, I think, interpersonal relationships and reconciling with somebody, man, that's just how they are, that's, this is how it is between us, it is what it is, and so forth, you know. So I, w- I will take it just a moment here, I want to read a little bit more, if you've got your Bible there, we'll read a little bit more in chapter 18, just to gain some context and familiarize yourself with, with, with this sort of um, argument that God lays out, because he spends a lot of verses kind of answering this, this question from them. So I'm going to start reading at verse 1. I'll read several verses, then I'll maybe summarize a little bit of the, of the rest. But in chapter 18, verse 1, it says, The word of Adonai came to me, saying, What do you mean by using this proverb in the land of Israel, saying, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, so the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, it is a declaration of Adonai. You will never again use this proverb in Israel. Behold, every living soul is mine, the soul of father as well as the soul of son. Both are mine. Behold, the soul who sins is the one who will die. Suppose a man is just and does what is lawful and right. And I'll just say person so you ladies can listen up as well. Suppose a person is just and does what is lawful and right. They have not eaten at the mountain shrines or lifted up their eyes to idols <coughs> of the house of Israel. They've not de- well, this is the man part. He has not defiled his neighbor's wife or come near to a woman during Nidah. He does not wrong anyone, returns his pledge for a debt, does not commit robbery, gives his bread to the hungry, and covers the naked with a garment. He does not loan with interest or take unjust gain. He keeps his hand from iniquity, executes true justice between people, 
walks in my laws and keeps my statutes, behaving honestly. Such a person is just. He will surely live. It is a declaration of Adonai. Then the text goes on to talk about, or give the example of this person that he just described, son, right? And the son basically does everything that he just said there, but just the opposite. And then it gives the example, and the conclusion there is that that son will surely die, whereas this one will surely live, that the son will surely die who does the opposite. And then it gives kind of like a no-brainer, uh, we think, um, example of the next generation after that, the grandson, you could say, um, where that person does good again, and then that son will certainly live. So that basically catches up to where, what Tracy concluded with right there earlier. <coughs> so you've got three scenarios. You've got two good people. Um, and then one bad. And there's examples in each case of here's, here's the examples of what the bad things are, here's the examples of what the good things are. These are the things that are the examples of the, the person that lives does the good things and the one that is not sort of in good standing with God does the bad things. And what are those things? When you look at those things, um, there are things that are against God and there are things that are against a fellow person, okay? And if you, um, by my count, and it's different in each each case kind of depends how you divide things up, of course. But roughly, uh, when I averaged them, um, it's roughly three times the number of things against people as it is against God. You've got maybe nine of these things that talk about, you know, actual things against a person versus the idolatry and things against God himself. So you've got a three, kind of a three-to-one uh, ratio there. Another you know, example that the good person hasn't oppressed anyone, hasn't robbed anyone, has given bread to the hungry, has clothed the naked, not taken financial advantage, and so forth, whereas the bad person has oppressed people, robbed them, and so forth, and then also done the things against God. So, again, a large part of this argumentation and teaching from God is that being on God's good side certainly requires a proper relationship with, with one another. <coughs> You know, uh, I've mentioned this before probably, but I've got, you know, when I come home sometimes, my kids, they, they, they run at me and they hug and, oh, love you, Dad, all this kind of stuff, and may, you may see it here. And that's all wonderful and good, but if they came and ran at me and then they all just went off into separate corners of the house because they weren't talking to each other or this one had bit that one and this one had fought with that one and all this kind of stuff is going on, but they love me so much. Well, guess what? As a father that's great that you love me and all that kind of stuff, but I'm really not that happy about the situation because, you know, you're also hurting this person that I also love and why, you know, why you can't, you know, I've got to have separate cars to drive you everywhere because you can't keep your hands to yourself and all this kind of stuff. It's difficult for me to love you if you're continually beating on your little sister or your older brother or whatever, you know. And so the point uh, is that our personal relationships and how we treat others is an extremely important aspect and it's certainly an important indicator of the health of our relationship with God as well. You know, we can repent, we can turn to him, but if we do that at the expense of, of not dealing with others in like manner, then we're really missing the fuller picture of, you know, what God's about, what he desires, and, and all that kind of stuff. Now, people will always fail us. I mean, always. They'll always fail us. They'll always let us down, and vice versa. We will always let people down. We will always fail people. Um, however, that's not a license just to write people off necessarily. Am I talking in generalities, possibly, and so forth? We come with specifics, but the, ge the general principle remains that, you know, we can't just assume that we've got a great, you know what, <laughs> I don't know about people, God, but I'm, I'm good with you. I don't think so. That's, that's not the case. That's not the case. Um, it's in, in, and it's easier said than done, you know, making amends with people. It's hard. And I'm going to be talking a lot about that today, and I'm talking about it, and, 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 you, and it might hit a nerve because guess what? They, the things that are most personal are those things that are most universal, if you, know, if you can imagine that. 
Um, <clears throat> but it's easier said than done. Again, I've been on both sides of, of giving and receiving of uh, some pretty empty and insincere promises. Okay, hear that again? I've been on both sides of giving and receiving empty and insincere promises. Um, and we'd like it to just be simple, one and done. I said, I'm sorry, okay? Can't you get over it? You know, but typically it just doesn't happen that way. In other words, you know, we ask for forgiveness from someone or we extend forgiveness from someone and maybe even receive ex forgiveness from someone, right? And we'd like that to be the end of the story, but you know what? Feelings come up, um, habits kind of resurface. Sometimes it's new things that happen. Sometimes it's part of the old thing that happens and it's the same thing over and over again. It is what it is, right? Or maybe not. Well, one reason it's very hard, I think, um, is one part of this is, is this idea that really is being hammered on in this chapter, and that is the idea of taking uh, personal responsibility. And when you read Ezekiel 18, you get into all these details, right, about the grandfather, the son, the son, and, and you know, the, the good, back to the bad, back to the good, and all that kind of thing. And our typical reaction to all this is that, you know, we try to get in there, we try to unravel all of that, we try to determine, you know, if and when and how we have maybe uh, loosed ourselves from perhaps some kind of intergenerational sin. You may have heard of that before. This is, I'm this way because of, you know, it's, it's like the Israelites. I'm, I'm this way because this and that happened to me and so forth. And my, my dad was like this or my mom was like this or my foster, whatever it might be, whatever your situation was. And uh, now that's a separate topic, that idea of, of intergenerational uh, sin and, and, and it's, it's controversial in a sense. I don't want to leave it just hanging though. Um, because the r there is a reality. This is sort of the, the, the highlights, I guess, of my opinion on all that. And I think what Scripture says as well is that there is some potential fallout or hardship or effects from previous generations, okay? I mean, th there are. If, a, if someone's a drug addict and they have a baby, that baby's going to have some physical things for sure. I mean, there's, there's, there are some actual fallout, some hardships uh, from previous generations, um, there are s there's some of that that happens, you know, um, in the same generation. I mean, uh, not just my great-grandfather, someone you're living with now, you know, we, and, and we, we have real-time effects on one another. I mean, all that stuff's real. But that does not equal God's automatic, you know, you can't do anything about it, cosmic, uh, you know, untouchable kind of reality. It's not necessarily a foregone conclusion, some type of persistent familial curse, okay? And that's not, and, and, and certainly, again, that's, that's, so some people will, will point to this chapter to say that there's absolutely no effect of sin because of, look at what Ezekiel says, that's not really what it's saying either. We got to stick with, there's the three basic tenets of Bible study. Many of you know what I'm going to say, the three basic things you always consider, right? Number one, context, right? Number two, context, right? Number three, context. So you got that, context, context, context. <laughs> so interpreting scripture is very important. When we go back to verse one, and I read it before, we see what I think is the context of this whole thing, which is this topic. The word of Adonai came to me saying, what do you mean by this proverb saying that, that the parents have eaten grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge? <coughs> this implied, the context here that's going on, is that, again, they, they were sort of wallowing in this idea that we're suffering because of others and there's nothing we can do about it. That, that was there. That was the context. And ultimately, so God was teaching in that context through Ezekiel, saying, look, you're not owning up to your responsibility. Everybody's accountable to me and so forth. He's not necessarily wiping out the fact that there's going to be effects of things before, but he's saying this is ultimately what, it's what, what, what the reality is, and, and your argument doesn't hold up is what he's saying. And so you know, we, might, we might explore this more at Yom Kippur. I won't speak for what Rabbi Haim's going to talk about. I know he's gonna, he has some things in mind. But when we're talking about the challenges and the difficulties of, of interpersonal reconciliation and forgiveness and repentance, 
there's no like singular root cause of that kind of stuff, but I, will, I would suggest that a big root cause uh, of the issue and the, the, the fact that things are, are very often not ever worked out or solved is because of this very thing here, the fact of, of each person not owning up to their own responsibility. If there's, and if there, if there are other causes, that's great, but if, there's, if, there's, if, there's, um, if that's not a root issue, a really strong root issue, then I don't know what, what is, quite frankly, in my experience. So how do we start to reverse that, that idea of needing to own up to uh, our responsibility in the situation? How do, we, how do we begin to reverse the failures, unless maybe, you have, maybe you've got a perfect track record of reconciliation with other people, I don't know. Um, but how do we start doing that? Well, I'm going to give you a few suggestions, a few points. Number one is just, you know, own up. <laughs> own up. Admit what you've done, right? <clears throat> Where you've erred, what part your actions might have played. Intentionally, unintentionally, okay? I remember talking to somebody one time, someone in this congregation, and, and you may know who it is, and uh, it doesn't matter, but the point is this person was not being aggressive toward people, but this person was actually kind of tall, and it's not because I'm short, but it's like, so when they talk to people, they're like this. <laughs> and... And so people would continue to say, you know, I talk to this person, I just feel intimidated. <laughs> and they weren't being, like, they're not an intimidating, mean person. Like, but I had to say, you know what, the fact, you're kind of tall, maybe you <laughs> should sit down, maybe you can, I know some really tall people that stand like this. I mean, you're <laughs> laughing, but the fact is, sometimes there's some unintentional things. And this was an unintentional thing, so you could say, well, I can't help it if I'm tall. Or you can say, oh gosh, you know what, you might, maybe you're right. Maybe he's being tall. I'm not point picking on tall people, right? So, um, so I'm tall to some people, believe it. My grandmother one time, who's 4'10", I think, she said, she looked at me, you're six feet tall, aren't you, David? I said, <laughs> and I was honest. I said, no, 6'1". Six one, six one. <laughs> so it could be something unintentional like that. I used to show a picture. Say, this is my grandmother. I, just, I would just show it to people and not say anything. And they look at it, and then they're like, oh. oh. Because they realize I look like this, you know, this giant. I'm like, oh, my gosh. This is this, is a, this person. So anyways, there may be some things that are unintentionally done. Uh, maybe you don't necessarily really put you in the other person's point of view. I think that's a big one. Often, we, we're quite often just thinking about our own self, our own comforts, our own preferences, and so forth. Maybe we picked a, uh, an inopportune time to bring something up, something completely legitimate, completely, you know, we have every right to bring something up, but maybe it just wasn't the right time. I can tell you Shabbat's not the right time, by the way. That's not in my notes. That's in my heart. But uh, it's not the right time for anybody. This is a time for us to be together. I know it's the time we see each other quite often. It's easy, but it's not the right time. So it could be a timing issue. Um, whatever it is, we want to own up to it, what it might be, okay? And I'll, I'll circle back to this again uh, at the close. Another thing is to confess. Psalm 51.3 says, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. This is David saying that. You know, this can be done privately, the idea of confession, um, it can be done privately between you and the Lord. It can be done to another person. It doesn't necessarily have to be an open confession to the world kind of thing. It doesn't have to be, but some type of the idea of confession has to be part of this uh, taking responsibility in some way. Another one is praying for blind spots to be revealed. Psalm 51.2, uh, that same psalm also talks about, it says, wash me thoroughly from my sins, Lord. Wash me, cleanse me from my sin. Wash me clean, or it says, cleanse me from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. This idea of cleansing is something to consider because cleaning is one thing. You know, you spill some, something on the table, you wipe it up, right? Cleansing implies more of, a, you know, this, this is overdue. <laughs> this is like you pull out the refrigerator and the stove and you find the Cheerios from last August, you know. <laughs> this is cleansing thoroughly. Something has been neglected. 
This is not just quickly kind of cleaning up a spill, the idea of cleansing. So we pray for, for blind spots to, uh, to be revealed and to po- possibly for us to be softened in that area if necessary. Blind spots are a big one. Keep in mind, though, none of these things, whether it's owning up, confessing, uh, asking for, for, for blind spots to be revealed, none of that is, is talking about the need to heap condemnation on yourself. Okay? I want you to hear this. It's not about saying, I'm, you're right, I'm miserable, I did this and that, I suppose I'm too tall. No, this is not what we're talking about. Okay? It's not about heaping condemnation upon yourself, but it's about recognizing, ultimately, the big picture. I want to zoom out to the big picture a few times here. Ultimately, it's about recognizing God's ability and desire to forgive, okay? And, and a word of caution, this, this takes work. This does take work. There might be frustration. There might be setbacks. There might be times you do want to say, it's just, this is, is what it is. Um, but there'll be a temptation to go through the motions, maybe. We've often gone through the motions in reconciliation meetings and so forth. I've been a participant in, you know, with the, the, the rabbi here and me and someone else, and I've gone through the motions, and I've been the rabbi, and other people have gone through the motions. There can be that kind of thing, a temptation to possibly give up and to conclude that, you know what, I've done all I can do, but, you know, we need to ultimately trust God and his process, and the rest is really up to him. Um, Maimonides, a great uh, uh, Jewish, ra- or no, Jewish rabbi, uh, mid-century rabbi, he, he, there's some guidi- guidance for this time of the year that he gives regarding uh, Yom Kippur, because the question came to him, well, what if you go to your brother and sister in, th- in this time and you ask their forgiveness and they won't forgive you? You know, what if they just won't even hear you out? What do you do? How am I going to be forgiven? Yom Kippur is coming, right? <laughs> And Maimonides says, well, you go to them again. And you go to them again, right? And he says that you go to them <coughs> three times, right? So he says again and again. So they say, oh, that's three times. And then you ask them for their forgiveness. And if you've done it three times, then, you know, you're kind of done. You've received your atonement. You know, regardless of their response, you've done your part and you've achieved your atonement. So I read this blog one time and talked about this, this person. So I was in Jewish day school and once we learned this teaching from Maimonides, we quickly, you know, would go out to somebody and go, do you forgive me? Do you forgive me? Do you forgive me? Great, I'm forgiven. Do you forgive me? Do you forgive me? Do you forgive me? And, and so forth. And, and so they, that, that's kind of how they did it, right? And we laughed. We realized, though, that this is truly ineffective, and it misses the heart of Maimonides' teaching, namely that, you know, forgiveness is, is uh, a process, and it, it may take multiple attempts, not that it takes three attempts, um, but that you do have a responsibility to, to pursue what you can from your side of the, of the matter, at least, and at every given, you know, moment, we're probably in some stage of forgiveness or unforgiveness with multiple people, right? There's some, because relationships grow over time. You know, they grow in, in good ways and hopefully not bad ways, but they do take time and they grow over time. In some cases, we, uh, we realize we have unfinished business with someone. Maybe we just need there to be time to let things cool down, right? Again, this is timing issues very important. But maybe there are other cases where we simply have just given up and we haven't even started or we've stopped the process, you know? And again, we can only do so much, but at the core, we need to trust and believe that reconciliation is God's heart, as we see here in this passage and other places. It's what he wants and that he can actually, in fact, make it happen despite us, because it's always going to be despite us, quite frankly, in this, in this area. Now, at the end of, of chapter 18 in, in Ezekiel here, we, we uh, see a repeated word it's actually a word between verses 23 and 32, which is a little beyond what Tracy read. <coughs> uh, this word is repeated, I counted, eight times. And it gives us kind of more insight into the same idea, um, when w- how we're supposed to view things like forgiveness. 
in the Hebrew word is derech. You've heard it before. This is the idea of uh, it's either means way or journey or path. It's it's a it's a, a road perhaps or a manner of action is really what it means in this case. Um, so, for example, you hear about somebody did something and uh, y- you think about their manner or path. Like like for me recently, this kind of hit home because. You know, David Katz from Maryland, he shot these people at a gaming uh, convention, right? And uh, wow. Now, my sister was visiting me the other week, and she actually said when she heard that, she felt like a pit in her stomach. She felt sick, right? Like she thought maybe I had an apartment. She said, I thought maybe you had an apartment in Baltimore. It's possible. <laughs> so I know, I know the rest of you, though, thought properly, right? None of you thought that was, you know, most of you thought, that doesn't sound like the Dave Katz I know. That's not his way, <laughs> right? That's not his, his derech, right? He doesn't habitually act like that. That seems unnatural for him. That's unordin- inordinary and so forth. And, and I was born in D.C. I never lived in Baltimore, okay? That kind of thing. Could I flip out like that? Huh. Maybe, I mean, the point is, in general, let's hope, you know, it's not really my way. I mean, sure, we can all get it, but anyways. So, for, so forgiveness clearly has to do with a process, a continual manner. It's not a one-time isolated event. It has to do with a walking, a way, a path, and so forth. Now, I would be neglectful, I think, if I didn't mention uh, the biggest piece of this puzzle, really, uh, which is namely the forgiveness that we ourselves have been extended by way of Yeshua, right? Uh, through his sacrifice, the personal sacrifice that he made so that we would be forgiven and we would be put in right standing with him. Okay? That's, that's the biggest piece of forgiveness that we need to understand. We find a, 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 a great picture of this in another chapter, 18 of the Bible, Matthew 18. And there are two stories here with that same kind of thing based on forgiveness that we've received through the death and resurrection of Yeshua. Understanding that, we have no business really not forgiving other people. If you read Matthew 18, you know, it talks about that idea. Look, you've been given all this. How could you possibly not forgive someone else over and over and over again is what you see in that chapter. Not just three. You could try to go with the 49, but it's even more than that. It's continual. It's a process. It's a way. Now, again, are there some caveats in there in Matthew 18? Are there some caveats? Yes, there are. But the big picture is clear, is that we are to seek continual reconciliation with others, just as God himself extends continual reconciliation to us. And I've seen this over and over again. It's uh, easier said than done. It's uh, not difficult, it's impossible, but it's just not, it's not a natural inclination, okay? And that's part and parcel of the struggle of the forgiveness process. One that's, you, just, again, you see it over and over at the end of this chapter, it's this tug of war between the Lord's ways versus our ways. That's kind of where this makes us feel uncomfortable. And this is part of the whole spiritual walk in general, our ways versus the Lord's ways, right? In the case of Ezekiel's audience, uh, they wanted justice and they didn't think they were getting it. And by way of, you know, argumentation through Ezekiel, it makes it clear that God's saying that um, when it came to justice, you know, it just wasn't fitting in, his way wasn't fitting into their paradigm of thinking, okay? And this is not unrelatable to us. We have our own ideas about what justice should look like. And we have our own ideas about what justice should, um, you know, how God should administer justice, right? And that plays into our attitudes about forgiveness, and we also forget the counterpart of justice, and sometimes synonymous with it is mercy, right? Now, again, as I've said, I said it earlier that as believers in Yeshua, our understanding is a bit different, right? But as we positively glean what we can from, from this holy day of Yom Kippur and the tra- traditions that surround it, there are legitimate applications. 
like when we hear about it being Yom Kippur and we need to make amends with people or else. I think we, we get that idea, right? And we can, we can argue, well, we're not really, you know, in that situation. Well, yes and no. We can temper that a little bit. But we certainly, I think, understand what it means that, you know, we better get things in order or else God could annihilate us, right? I'm not talking about losing your salvation kind of thing. But the fact is, that is what is at stake here. And I think, quite frankly, if we were honest, we're, we're pretty comfortable with that idea. That, that, that kind of lines up with our thought of justice, doesn't it, you know? Um, that actually becomes one of the biggest philosophical objections that people have to even believing in God in the first place. They think about the problem of evil. We see all this evil in the world, and God doesn't do anything about it. Therefore, you know what? He can't exist, right? If, if people get away with things, if people can make a deathbed confession and kind of erase decades of, of, of you know, of, of action, that, they, that just doesn't seem right, right? Then there must not be a God. It's just not right. But again, here's the problem, is that we assume that our idea of justice equals God's idea of justice. And that's just another example of, you know, our way versus God's way, right? And does God want us to get things right with our fellow human beings, our neighbors during this time of year? Of course he does. But not just this time of year, right? All, all year, all the time. But is he just sitting there waiting to see if we'll do it? And if not, he's going to annihilate us, you know? And moreover, is that what he should be thinking? Again, does that line up with, well, that seems like that seems like justice, Right? But that's where I think we really miss it, and that's what I think is something we can all take away from this Shabbat Shuvah, and that is that God's character is not and has never been that he's waiting to take you or anyone else you know, out of the picture if you don't shape up. His desire, and, and Chaim mentioned it in his prayer at Israel, if you heard it, um, is that the, his, his desire always been is that people would turn from their ways. And in verse 25, is exactly uh, we see this, some of this argument. It says in verse 25 that the way of the Lord... It says, yet you say, <laughs> the way of the Lord is not just. Hear, O house of Israel, is my way unjust? Is it not your ways that are unjust? I spent some time this week, maybe you've done it as well, kind of got caught up watching some of those uh, Senate confirmation hearings or the, for the justice, Supreme Court justice and so forth, where the senators just grill the Supreme Court. I watched it with Neil Gorsuch as well. And, you know, the whole idea is we, wanna, we just want to ask these questions, right, to find out if this person is a just judge and they're going to do their job right and so forth. And quite frankly, I mean, you find, I find the questions to be, we just want to make sure you're going to vote the way I'd want you to vote. And it's, and it's, it's kind of comical, and I won't get into the, I'm on video, I can't get into all the political stuff about it, right? But uh, it's, again, it's really just an effort to see if you're going to rule in favor of the person questioning you. But, you know, I've got news for you. After all that stuff, as good as any of those candidates are, <coughs> and by human standards, I mean, I think they're some of the best of the best, obviously. At the end of the day, there is no human person who is righteous. There is no human person who is completely just. There is no not one. We see that in several places in Scripture. And so the problem is that our view of justice requires a just judge. I mean, that it requires a just judge, which is impossible by human standards. God is the only true and righteous judge. And twice in this chapter, once in verse 23 and once in verse 32, God says, I don't take, this is the just righteous judge talking, says, I don't take pleasure in the death of anyone. Rather, I desire that they should turn from their ways. That's, I think the message is clear there, is that God's core character and his desire is not about him wanting to annihilate people. He's not tuned in, looking to see if you, know, you goof up over and over again, uh, but he's waiting you know, expectantly and anxiously for a lifestyle change, a change in path, a change in manner, a change in your derech, a change in your ways. Um, and verse 23 spells it out. He says it again. I'll read it again. He says, Have I any pleasure... In the death of the wicked, it says the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his ways and live. That's a call rhetorical question that requires the answer. In this case, no, he has no pleasure in that kind of thing. 
This doesn't mean that God doesn't punish. This is not saying that at all. This is not license to anything. This is talking about what God takes pleasure in. That's his character. Now, our character, I'm going to suggest, is that people should get caught. People should get what's coming to them. That's what we wait for. That's what we consider justice. You know, when you go home today or after, you know, not right now, check out YouTube. You know, you'll see all kinds of titles like Instant Karma. <laughs> you know, Porch Pirate. You know what Porch Pirate is? Yeah, porch Pirate stealing packages off of porches. Breaks their ankle as soon as they grab the... <laughs> you know, that's justice. We smile a bit, right? Maybe it is just. I don't know. But the point is, that's, that's our character, right? That's kind of the, 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 the core of our character. That's what makes us happy, right? His character, what makes him delight, is that people would turn from their ways. So that's a good question. I think about that. Would you rather that video show the person go up to grab the package and go, ah, I, I shouldn't do it? Or would you want to see them actually grab it and have it explode and, or have them break their ankle? I mean, I don't know. God's way versus our way, right? So on Yom Kippur, should we seek to forgive those who we have broken relationships with? Not only should we, but I, I want to suggest that if we expect and want to have a proper relationship with God, it, it's a requirement. It's a, it's a have-to-have. There's got to be something we do, right? And so again, where can you start? I'll go over these again. Owning up. Owning up to your part of the deal. Be honest about your personal responsibility. Rarely is 100% of the responsibility in, an, in a conflict on someone else. Rarely. Is it possible? Possibly. Again, does this mean you have to, this doesn't mean you have to sacrifice your principles or confess to something that you didn't do, Okay. Um, it, doesn't, it, it does mean that you should seriously reflect on your part in the ordeal, though, to look at things from the other person's perspective. Again, could it be your tone of voice? Could it be the timing? Could it be something else like that? Yeah, there, there's an there's there's obligation to consider that, okay? So owning up. To confess, to confess to God and to the other person. To ask God to show you hidden areas that might need cleansing. Again, that's neglected areas. And if, you know, if we say we have no neglected areas or no blind spots, that's pretty arrogant to say there's no, there's no possible way you, you don't have any blind spot of some type, you know. So we ask God to show us those. We turn, we change. We change your ways to his ways. We look at his ways and realize, you know, my, they don't line up with his ways. I know that. I, I mean, would I really want to see someone turn versus them break their ankle when they get that back? You know what I mean? That's, that's a hard question, I think, which would bring more joy to you. That's a change of heart. You pray for God's help with that. Verse 31 says, of Ezekiel here also says, cast off from you all transgressions that you have committed. Make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. That's like a command, you know. Great, I'll, I'll cast it off. I cast it off. I got a new heart. That's not it. It's, it's, it's a process. It takes prayer. In fact, Romans uh, 13, 12 to 14 echoes this sentiment, says it a little differently. It says, the night is almost gone and the day is near. So let us put off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Yeah, the same kind of imperative command. A little further on, it says, instead of all these other things it talks about, these things of the flesh, it says, put on the Lord Messiah Yeshua and stop making provision for the flesh, for its cravings. And I want to suggest that one of those cravings of the flesh is a desire to always see our version of justice prevail. Again, this is a, this is a personal thing I'm saying might be universal. <laughs> okay? So don't feel bad. Understand that all of this is also God's desire. This is ultimately God's character. He wants to see you change your ways and be blessed by him. The key to repentance 
and the key to reconciliation is understanding who it is that we're, we're praying to, who it is that is the, the righteous and just judge. By understanding these things about God, by understanding his attributes, his character, and, and not taking delight in the perishing of the wicked, and, and all that being part of his model of righteousness and justice, that removes from us, I think, a fear that we might have that when we go and try to walk in that type of character, that we're going to be humiliated as we're being humble and as we're exhibiting humility to others, that we might be humiliated in that process. I think understanding that God, that, that's his heart, might help us through that, right? And our fear of not being received well, you know, that might, that as we're trying to undertake reconciliation, I think that might be aided by understanding his model there. Reconciliation with others, and as a, a necessary corollary to that, you know, having a right relationship with him, right? That's all part of this, reconciling with others. So it's all part of what he wants. So it, hopefully that can help us over that fear of like, I'm, I just don't want to put myself in this vulnerable position again. I've been taken advantage of all my life. I'm not going to let this person take advantage of me either, you know, whatever it might be. This is hard. This is hard stuff. But that's repentance. That's true repentance. And that's really what Yom Kippur is about. It's an imperative to turn and to forgive as we ourselves have been forgiven. So let's pray. <coughs> Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, so much for taking the effort to communicate with us your overarching desire for us to change our ways and live. And thank you, Lord, for your persistent and unfailing patience with us. Help us to see, Lord, that because of your patience with us, that we should extend that same patience to other people. And help us, Lord, to not give up on the process of forgiveness. Asking for and receiving forgiveness, Lord. We just ask that, that this time, that you would let this time of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, that this time would mark a turning point for us where we would endeavor to change our ways to your ways, to change our outlook of why you want us to extend and receive forgiveness. Amen. <coughs>